0: And welcome back to Backchat. If the Nature podcast is a bucket of alternative facts, then Backchat is an accusation of fake news. I've assembled three of the best fact hunters from Nature to chat this month about what's on their minds. This month coming up, is your project a moonshot, a framework, a roadmap or a pipe dream? We'll be opening up Trump's cabinet of curiosities and stay tuned to hear what happened when scientists tried to replicate five very high profile cancer papers. I'm Kerry Smith and my three guests are, here in London, Richard Van Orden.
1: Hello, I'm a news editor in the UK.
0: And Heidi Ledford. Hi, I'm a biomedical reporter now in the UK as well.
2: And in Washington DC, Lauren Morello. Hi, I am the US news editor and I have been editing a lot of stories about Donald Trump lately. Now, coming up in the show,
0: the biggest projects in science almost always have a lofty metaphor as a name. But is a moonshot better than a framework? Is a roadmap clearer than a scheme? We'll take a look at what's in a name. President Donald Trump has been inaugurated and his cabinet is filling up. There are a few positions that scientists and science fans will be interested to hear more about. Plus, an ambitious effort to reproduce the results of a bunch of high-profile papers has announced its first results and they're mixed, to put it mildly. What can this project and others teach us about whether any result can be carbon-copied? Now, firstly, to those moonshots and other monikers... A feature this week looks at what these big and sometimes quite wafty terms can mean. Heidi, for anyone out there with a big project about to launch, what are some of their alternatives?
3: Yeah, so this feature is great. It goes through um, a lot of the words that you hear over and over again these days, especially moonshot, which is very big in cancer biology, uh, because there are no less than three of them going on in the US right now. Um, and then also you could have a roadmap, you could have an initiative, perhaps. Uh, and it's it's interesting because it turns out some of these words are, are more popular in some countries than others. I think initiative is hot in the US. If you are in uh, Australia, you might prefer a framework. And in Europe, you might like a roadmap. No one wants a blueprint? There is a little bit on blueprints in this story.
0: <laughs> and what's the difference between some of these? terms I mean it semantically kind of they seem a bit interchangeable to me
3: yeah well you know I think part of the point of the story is that we've all been kind of using them interchangeably but there are some differences among them so for example um, the moonshot the somewhat controversially named cancer moonshot in the U.S. the big sort of federal um, see I almost called it an initiative um, (laughs) I think would be more properly called a roadmap is what uh, the feature points out because it's a bit more of a of, uh, you know, sort of guidance, what we should be doing over the next few years. And, you know, that name, Moonshot, has been quite controversial because it implies, oh, hey, we've got this very clear, defined target. It's kind of an engineering problem. We're going to just, you know, shoot for the moon and land there. And with cancer, of course, it's much more complicated than that. Yeah, so there's a danger of
0: them being quite problematic terms if they're not well defined or am I just raining on everyone's parade?
3: Well you know you you run into this problem with cancer a lot over history where people talk about trying to find a cure for cancer and of course that raises everybody's hackles because you know it's not cancer is not just one disease it's many many diseases you know different ones need a different approach for treatment and so forth so I think calling this a moonshot sort of brought that memory back to a lot of scientists and it is sort of funny i mean if you former vice president joe biden who's been heading up that initiative that moonshot in the u.s that roadmap in the u.s um even he's said in the past you know maybe moonshot wasn't really the best name for this but then he kept using it anyway it sounds good yeah it's great branding and if you're going to congress and congress is not eager to spend a lot of money and you say hey i've got this moonshot you know, to, to Cure cancer, which they have used that phrase occasionally, even Biden, um, you know, it sells a little bit.
1: It feels to me like you either need to sell a project on it being a moonshot, like this is such an amazing goal that although it's slightly undefined, we have to have the money to do it. Or you sell the project by going with Blueprint or Roadmap, which to me, smack of... um, Okay, you know, the goal may not be massively sexy, of course, it's important. But more importantly, we have laid out um, in the bricks of a road on a chart exactly what we are going to do and what everyone else is going to be doing. Whereas words like framework or project or programme, to me kind of a, a neither one nor the other. It's like, yeah, we're gonna get a load of people together and they're gonna do this thing and we can't lay it out like a roadmap or a blueprint. And it's not really as exciting as a moonshot, but it, it's like a, a thing that we need money for. And it feels to me like may, maybe in America, at least, that would be the, the least attractive way of describing a or wrapping up a new initiative.
2: About 10 years ago in the United States, it was really trendy to propose addressing some big, tough problem in science by saying that you are going to start a new Apollo program, which is a reference to the U.S. getting to the moon. And Moonshot has echoes of that. And that's seen as a really successful program. And I think at least in the U.S. when people are selling things to Congress, they want to kind of access that history and that mental image.
0: Yeah, it's funny that it's become so popular though, Moonshot, because to me it seems like this incredibly unlikely thing that we're going to spend all this money on and we might not do and it'll probably be dangerous. It's it's interesting that people want to label their cancer projects that way.
3: But it was bold and daring and it worked. They're betting that you're hearing moon and not moonshot. (laughs) Maybe
0: moon map then. We can combine the two. I mean, some of the most successful of these large science projects are projects, the Human Genome Project being the obvious example uh, but i suppose it's fine with hindsight to say oh that was that had a boring name but that was fine do you think a bit like business speak i suppose once kind of derided um now i seem to use action as a verb in every other email that i send i mean maybe there's there's a familiarity to some of this that we'll just get used to
3: mm-hmm. yeah, i think that's likely the case i know in the in biology there's a term that's come out over the past year or so, an atlas. Suddenly everything is an atlas. You know, we're going to build an atlas. It's a cancer cell atlas. It's a human cell atlas. And it kind of drives me crazy because I don't fully understand what they're saying. I mean, you could imagine doing it in lots of different ways. and. I think over time that'll become standardized, and then I'll be very happily saying Atlas all the time.
1: In Europe, it's all about flagships now. So uh, there was a flagship project for a billion euros for graphene, which is over 10 years, so not as much as it sounds, but a billion is a round number. Another flagship project for the human brain project, which disintegrated a bit. Um, And while they're thinking up some more flagship projects, these are all kind of carefully discussed and debated they sort of slipped in another flagship project for quantum technologies in the middle of a document about um, cloud computing. And the way they chose that flagship has other people protesting that, you know, this is is how you choose a normal project, not a flagship project. So just the name itself has all these implications of how it's decided upon and debated, which they're probably not even following their own rules. I
2: think it's like a shorter way to say another phrase that was trendy here in the States a couple of years ago, high risk, high reward research. Hmm. That was a thing for a while in a lot of subjects.
1: I'll just add that um, in the UK, uh, the centres that are supposed to get uh, the UK's industries going are called catapults, which um, I like that. One. a lot of amusement among UK yeah, science reporters.
0: Great, that just seems like desperation. And again, <laughs> yeah. like fifteenth yeah. century war technology. Yeah, right?
1: we're
3: going to hurl you at the castle yeah. wall and hope you. So make it did it get
1: over. us thinking about you know javelins. <laughs> Uh, rocket ships, shot puts. Sling, slings, slingshots, <laughs> shot puts, yeah. Pole I'm just vaults.
2: picturing some poor postdocs, like, you know, tied in a bundle yeah. a catapult waiting to be, <laughs> you know, right. shot over some hedges.
1: The interesting thing about catapults as a name was it was supposed to imply that the fundamental knowledge and the activities were already there, but they just required some sort of platform or organization to catapult them into the market, which was Everyone where they had to be. Everyone
0: knows you'd as a springboard for that. Springboard, right,
1: springboard.
0: <laughs> Catapult's just a messy way of getting from A to B, right? Yeah. I don't know, crash mat. Can we call it a crash mat? I'm, I'm thinking I should rechristen the podcast now.
2: I just feel like I could make it kind of less catchy but more galvanizing. But the back chat would be your moonshot, right? Because the main podcast would be your flagship initiative. <laughs>
0: of course it would. Lauren, you're all over this. You're wasted in science journalism. You should go directly into marketing. Note it. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to move on to our second theme at the risk of drawing the analogy too hard from one to the other. Um, some political events in the US could be construed as high risk, these things that have been happening lately. Uh, Lauren, you've been covering the
2: inauguration of uh, Donald Trump. Did he say anything about science? Um, he did. He mentioned science briefly in his inaugural speech, which was, I think, about 20 minutes long. He mentioned wanting to, quote, unlock the mysteries of space. Um, he mentioned wanting to alleviate, quote, the miseries of disease. And there is some talk about um, technology and, and innovation. There wasn't a lot of detail. Um, a lot of the speech was about uh, putting the United States first, um, kind of generally and not very specifically. And we can't expect a road in an inaugural
0: speech, can we? <laughs> um, but we got a moonshot. We did of. get a moonshot, <laughs> exactly. And has he put any of these views into practice yet? He's been signing a whole bunch of executive orders, um, but otherwise the science lines just, they sort of sound a bit like applause lines, don't they?
2: Yeah, I mean, there wasn't anything really specific in the speech, but some of the things he's done in his first couple days in office include putting a freeze on hiring across the federal government. Um, He put an energy plan up on the White House website where he says again that he wants to roll back the climate change regulations that the previous president, Barack Obama, put in place. And there are reports from reputable news organizations that there's been at least a temporary clampdown on agency employees talking to the press at a couple of agencies, including the Environmental Protection Agency. So there are definitely some early effects on science.
0: And how about the appointments to cabinet positions and key
2: other positions that scientists should keep an eye on? So far, the nominations that are relevant to science are um, for the Environmental Protection Agency, for the Commerce Department, which includes the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Um, the Secretary of State, since the Secretary of State is involved in international negotiations over things like climate change and the Iran nuclear deal, um, and the, the Energy Secretary. Um, and so far, all of those people have had their nomination hearings, and uh, one of them has had a vote on his nomination in a Senate committee. All of them will have to have committee votes. And then the next step, the final step before taking office is having your nomination approved by the full Senate. Um, So some of Trump's nominees have been delayed because they're still filling out their ethics, paperwork and financial disclosures. So it's a little uncertain how quickly they're going to move. I think it would be fair to say that a lot of these people should be in office by the end of February. Apart from the Cabinet, then
0: there are other positions that we've you've been um, leading the team that's reporting on. Um, It's called sort of a rumor mill at the moment, isn't it? In terms of who might be, for example, his science advisor?
2: Right. So there are some rumors going around for the science advisor post. The science advisor is also the head of the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy. Our rumored candidates are um, David Gelernter, who's a computer scientist at Yale, and William Happer, who's a physicist at Princeton. Gelernter has been a pretty ardent critic of academia. Um, When he spoke to us, he told us he thinks that the next science advisor will face a big challenge in kind of bridging the gap between the, the public and scientists. Happer, we've been told, is thought of as a solid physicist. He had a position in the Department of Energy, um, but he's also a well-known um, climate skeptic. And, for example, he doesn't believe that carbon dioxide emissions from human activities have really caused any significant degree of global warming.
1: Lauren, how do we square, I, I feel like, that um, in this election um, Twitter and um, uh, media shouting about what's coming out of Donald Trump's mouth that might not actually happen um, is sort of really taking over the agenda. Um, So just today, we're hearing some reports that, you know, scientists at the EPA, as you said, uh, might not be allowed to talk to the media, there might be some kind of hiring freeze. And some scientists are immediately saying on Twitter, we're beeped and, you know, getting a million retweets. um, And it's all very reactionary.
2: That's always a challenge. And the first step to address is to evaluate the credibility of the source and what kind of confirmation you need. Um, For example, on the hiring freeze, Trump signed an executive order and the White House press office sent the text of that order out. We have that order. We can read that. Um, It basically says there are some exemptions for national security and public health and the military is accepted. But otherwise, they're not hiring new people to the federal government um, indefinitely. Um, Trump can appoint people to positions, um, political positions, but they're not going to hire new civil service workers. So I think we look at that and we can fairly say if this stays in place for any length of time, science agencies could suffer because they're probably going to lose people to attrition. I mean, people retire or switch jobs, the fact of life.
3: I think it just it shows how jumpy people are right now. I think especially if you're a climate change scientist that you, you know, the future may not hold good things for you. And so you're you're looking for signs of what it, what it's going to be.
2: One thing we're trying to do is sit down as a team and anticipate what, what could be the impacts of some of The people that Trump is putting into key jobs, what could be the impacts of some of these policies down the road, trying to think ahead and go for things that aren't so reactionary while covering the most important breaking stuff.
0: And Lauren, in a sort of maternal way, I I feel the need to ask you
2: whether you've been getting any uh, sleep
0: at all and how exhausted the team are at this point.
2: (laughs) It has been an overwhelming ride, I think, for all of us, especially from election night on i have been trying to balance the load for the reporters and heidi can tell you whether that's been true for me personally i think the last two weeks have been a little insane but i will say one of my signal achievements this weekend is that i took a nap on sunday so (laughs) things are looking
3: up (laughs) I think from a reporter's standpoint, I feel like I just want to do more. You know, there's so much going on and it's important stuff. I think Lauren was saying earlier, it's important stuff. And so you want to be there and you want to cover it. All right, Lauren. Well, not long uh, left of this show recording to get through before you can have another
0: nap, Dare to Dream, on a Tuesday. Richard is going to tell us about the first results long awaited from the reproducibility project Cancer Biology. Bit hard to interpret.
1: Yeah, I think we've all been waiting for a long time for this. This project launched in 2013, and it was going to scrutinise and exactly replicate 50 key cancer biology papers. This comes out of the pressing question for science of how many scientific papers are reproducible. Now, I think it seemed obvious to any reporter and anyone covering science that, obviously, uh, many attempts to exactly replicate other projects would A, be really, really, really difficult because people just don't write down in their papers precise recipes that allow outsiders to repeat them. Uh, B, that naturally speaking, some of them wouldn't work for all kinds of reasons, and we saw that borne out in the first results. So here we had the first five papers from this project, and it's really confusing and muddy and messy. Um, And the one clear result, the one replication where they said, this drug, we tried to replicate it and it doesn't work, Weirdly, that paper's already been validated by 10 other labs. So the whole thing is, is very confusing, and that's totally to be expected, because what what came out of this project is, uh, as I said, that it's very hard to do an exact replication of another study. How can you be sure that you have every condition exactly the same, even though in this project they were talking to the original scientists? So it's probably going to be like this for all the other 20 papers i would think and by the end of the year we'll have sort of 30 papers replicated quite cheaply with an overall cost of about 2 million um and i think we're arguing that what they show us more is um this is how real science works and look how hard it is to exactly replicate another uh another paper but doesn't necessarily tell us much about what people might think it does which is um our scientists sloppy our uh, scientists fraudulent Uh, Are they rushing results out before they're ready? Well, no, it's cutting-edge science. Uh, It's really hard to exactly repeat what someone else has done. And the main takeaway is people need to be much clearer about describing in papers exactly their methods and what it is they're doing.
0: It just goes to show, doesn't it, the enormous barriers to first of all trying to replicate something and then of course these are about cancer biology so the ultimate aim is to get the drug to work in the mouse and then to work in a human safely and effectively and I mean if it's not possible to translate the conditions from mouse to mouse then uh, it just it just goes to show what kind of a battle we're up against
2: and at what point do you can you feel confident that a result is reproducible You know, there's that paper you mentioned where 10 people were able to replicate it and this latest project wasn't. But I guess I'm also thinking of a situation where, you know, one group replicates another group's paper. That doesn't seem like enough data given kind of the caveats and nuance that you've been explaining. Right.
1: What what the what they're talking about now is you obviously you need lots of replications and uh, you know your results are you know statistically significant depending on your sample size and you put them all together for a massive meta-analysis but it's all open and I think maybe that's another takeaway from this is that some people seem to think that replication is a new thing for science of course it isn't it's scientists science's standard operating procedure you try and replicate other people's results but you don't publish them this file drawer problem So at least the openness of this is really inspiring people to think, oh, maybe I should publish this, maybe I should put this out there and sort of to look at how they've tried to do it. Um, Because if we had open everybody's standard attempts to replicate other people's work, you know, the size of the literature could triple or quadruple easily, but we'd have a lot more information that we could combine together into a kind of meta-analysis for any particular finding and we'd be much more certain... Which studies were reliable and which aren't? At the moment, we have to wait three, four, five years to see which studies kind of garner the most citations and gradually sort of float and sift their way to the top. You know, at least this openness shows us another way it could be.
2: So, is this a kind of a road map?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a very, very clear, rigid protocol that these guys are following. Uh, in fact, they—they they, you know—they uh, actually published their peer-reviewed replication protocol before they even get on with the business of replicating. Uh, and in our editorial, we argue that that's actually one of the most valuable things about this, to look at how the scientists and the replicators argued over the protocol before they even started arguing over the results.
0: I prefer you use the word recipe earlier, which I think recipe. maybe we should try and get more <laughs> recipes, large, giant recipe projects in science. I mean, I suppose in the meantime, as as people trying to report and communicate these findings to others, uh, we are in the position of kind of being at the behest of the news cycle and not being able to just ignore one finding that's very cool, even as we miss the larger picture and the fact that it might not be replicated, or it might not have been replicated. We just live with that. It's another caveat.
1: I think all you can do is is put the caveat in your reporting, ask as many people as you can think of how solid they think the result is and then make sure that high up in your article there's a note about uh, the fact that it hasn't yet been replicated or would be amazing uh, if it can be repeated by other labs.
0: Okay. well, thank you all for contributing to the best backchat recipe protocol that there has been, at least this year. Uh, thank you to Richard Van Norden and Heidi Ledford here in London and to Lauren Morello, who is hallucinating with tiredness over there in Washington, D.C. Find more of their work and the work of their colleagues over at nature.com slash news and find more audio-based updates on science at nature.com slash nature slash moonshot. Only joking, slash podcast. If you have thoughts about anything you've heard on the show, drop us a line on Twitter at naturepodcast or at naturenews or by email, podcast at nature.com. Faisal Esmelian got in touch. He's a researcher from Iran and he particularly likes Richard Van Norden joking around in backchat episodes. So, Faisal, I hope Richard was hilarious enough for you during this show as he talked about reproducibility. Sorry,
1: no jokes in this one, Faisal. It was very serious. It's a very serious topic.
0: Thank you, anyway, for your email. I'm Kerry Smith and thank you to all of you for listening. Hey, for those of you who haven't switched off just yet, there's a hidden track right here that cheeky little Noah Baker put together as he was editing the show. You can think of it as a kind of roadmap rap.
1: Framework. moonshot, Springboard. Program. Initiative. Javelins. <laughs> Rocket ships. Slingshot. Crash map. Blue skies. Pole bulb. shot put. Catapults. Flagship. Atlas. project. Blueprint? It
0: could have a roadmap. Maybe moon map. A new Apollo program. Is a roadmap better than a scheme? What's in a name?